0: And we're wanting to really use this time as a way to still reach folks. It may not be in the same method. It may not be as, as made deep of a reach, but I think we can at least help people know that we're here.
1: Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently, So welcome, everybody. Super happy to be back with uh, our listeners today because we have a very special treat um, for the program. We are going to be speaking with Colleen Call-Smith, who serves as an education specialist in the National Museum of the American Indians Office of Education. Um, we're really excited to talk with Colleen because there are some pretty cool initiatives that are happening at the museum that we would like to talk and share about. So, Colleen, welcome to Learning Unboxed. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, I want to sort of start for our listeners because they do come from all over the world. So, give us the 100,000-foot view of the uh, the museum, uh, the National Museum of the American Indian uh, to help us understand sort of the mission, vision, and sort of the context for the institution. And then we'll get uh, into the weeds of the amazing programs that you're working on.
0: Sure. Yeah. So um, as um, Annalise said, I work at the National Museum of the American Indian, and um, it's part of the Smithsonian Institution, um, which you may be familiar with. There's um, many, many museums um, located, most of them in the Washington, D.C. area. But at the National Museum of the American Indian, we actually have two exhibition spaces. One is um, on the quote mall in Washington, D.C., and the other one is actually in New York, um, in lower Manhattan. And then unique to the museum is also where we house and care for the collections um, of material, culture, objects. And we um, do that work um, close to D.C., but in Suitland, Maryland. Um, and all of this work, big part of the mission and vision of the museum is really to inform the public about um, Native peoples throughout the Western Hemisphere, and we really work to do that in partnership with Native communities. So that means that we often have co-curators, we have scholar artists, um, educators, writers, um, people who not only work within the museum but alongside us and help to make sure that the stories we're um, privileged to be able to share and tell are done in a respectful way in keeping with the wishes of the community. So that's kind of like a big look at the museum. Of course, we have exhibitions. Um, currently, we are close to the public with COVID, but we also offer online programs that you can check out on our website too.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for that, Colleen, because that's really helpful. And for those of you that have not ever had the opportunity to um, to visit the museum in Washington, D.C., it is absolutely spectacular. I've been several times and it's 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 gorgeous. It's informative. It's easy to go and to spend time in that museum and to learn an awful lot. And I did not realize that there was um, a piece of of that in New York. So that was new to me too. So thank you for that. Let's sort of dig in a little bit because you've been working on a couple of uh, recent projects that are pretty darn cool. And I'd really like to start with uh, the project Native Words, Native Warriors, uh, Native American Code Talkers. This is something that many people around the world are familiar with an aspect of um, U.S. history, in particular, sort of the, the native role in this. But I think that this um, provides an opportunity for us to have generations that might have forgotten to, to, to really understand what this was all about. So tell us a little bit about this project.
0: Yeah. So we are currently redeveloping a online experience, um, called native words, native warriors. Um, and it is about, um, American Indian code talkers and it's actually in both world war one and world war two. So that's something that people don't always know is kind of the, the spread of that service. And this website it's, you know, it's geared of course, towards educator audience, teachers and students kind of thinking about students in grades, middle and through high school, but it's also great for the public too, um, just to kind of expand some of their knowledge about that. Because what we've found is that there's a lot of interest in that topic. But often it's only done within the confines of um, direct service um, in the Pacific or in, in the European theaters of war. So what we're looking to do with this site is expand that vision out to where you get to know more about the stories and the people of many different code talkers, looking at facets of their cultures, of both the language and the service that they gave to this to the United States, um, but also what... For a lot of co Talkers, the ironic part was they used their particular unique language in order to make a huge service towards the war. But we also look at the story of boarding schools and how that was an effort within the United States to undercut those languages. Right. So what we're aiming to do is not just have it to where it's only one, one little part of just as we study about other people who provide service in wars, they're They're not limited to just that experience, right? It's their whole lives. And so we look to do that by also thinking about how when they came home, ways of re-entering into society, into their cultures, ways they did get recognition, but also challenges that they faced with that. So wanting to kind of expand that out to get a more complete picture um, of those stories. Yeah.
1: And yeah, that's really, really exciting. And so desperately needed because I I think that you're correct. You know, sort of my bumping in with folks, right, in and around the world, whenever this topic comes comes up, it's a very, very narrow understanding. It's really clear of sort of what what this was and what was going on, what was happening and who are the people involved. And so I love the fact that you're expanding it out to include the the individual human stories tied to all of this because it's so rich and so incredibly valuable. So this is going to be launching, I think, from the information that you sent um, in November um, this coming year-ish. So uh, from the sort of teacher perspective. So what's the, the body of resources that are, are going to be available? What should we be looking for come November when I'm hoping that we can send, you know, teachers from around the world, go find it, go pull it, go grab that stuff. What is the stuff going to be?
0: Yeah, sure. So it's a really immersive and for lack of a better term, I'll call it a website, But it's um, and it's going to be housed in our um, education initiatives kind of home base, which is Native Knowledge 360. It's part of the museum. It's part of our education vision and goals. Um, but on the museum's website, we'll have the Code Talkers um, resource, and it's organized the mat um, kind of through different themes, where students and teachers have the opportunity to go right in and experience kind of what it looks like to start with the understanding of native languages and why those are so crucial important, how they continue today, but also how that's so much linked with um, native cultures. And then there's a chapter, so it's kind of organized. Well, so you could think of it maybe as like a digital storybook, mm-hmm. um, and we follow two particular um, code talkers kind of throughout, but broaden out their experiences so that students and teachers are getting to understand um, kind of how those are representative of the larger span of service um, that was provided. So, from languages, we move into how um, the chapter of boarding schools and what that meant for for many people. It's a complex and a tough topic because it's um, it wasn't wholly uh, devastating, yet at the same time, it does undercut a lot of what students learn about with native language and those ties to culture. And then there's a chapter on service itself, so on cold talkers in World War II and um, World War I. And then we move into the coming home, getting a sense of what was, what were things like as you're trying to re-enter back into your communities. Um, and there's a lot of parallels, right, with mm-hmm. other service members, not just Native peoples in that chapter. And then finally, it kind of looks at the recognition and efforts to celebrate and honor that work, but how that's also done in parallel with some really tough times, um, harsh conditions that um, many Native peoples face coming back um, and there are some parallels to draw as with other members of the service who come back in, um, especially you know African Americans um, where they're not treated as full citizens given some of those same rights. So I mean it's not it's, it's not a light it's not a light resource, but it's also not there's a lot of I think hopeful elements, a lot about resiliency and trying to make it a broader, conversation. So hopefully it's going to spark more questions from teachers and students and wanting to learn more um, about not just this period in American history, but kind of native stories throughout the country's history.
1: Right. And are there activities or modules that are tied to sort of the, the chapters in the story? So real sort of hands-on or opportunities for the teachers and the students to collaboratively <laughs> learn in this
0: space? Yeah, absolutely. So um, what we've done and we, you know, did some testing with teachers. That's Mm -hmm. a big part of our work, is to make sure that kind of the ideas that we're building in our museum space um, do resonate um, with educators and their students. So what we've done is we have provided teachers with a wealth of some guidance about how to kind of facilitate some of these topics Mm -hmm. in the classroom, depending on their range of knowledge. What we've Really gotten to learn is that a lot of educators out there want to include more Native voices, more Native perspectives, but are sometimes nervous they'll do it wrong or they don't have some of the supporting um, content or even just things like knowing how to say Native names or um, nations and tribes. So some of those things are built into it where we give pronunciations, we provide some of that context. And then for students, what we do is give um, some activities where they can really work on building critical skills skills um, through learning about these stories so a lot about argumentative writing um, building out different some of their own questions Mm -hmm. that come from the text um, as well as even practicing some of the skills they need for what we're hearing more and more and know from some experience the challenge of operating in an assessment-based environment so something we found is if Teachers um, are hesitant to bring some of that content in because there's so much pressure to get to a test. What if they could use some of our materials to help students get ready to test those skills? So we're we're using that um, in this website. And I think it's going to be pretty successful. We'll be excited to get more teacher feedback on that. Yes. But all of that's kind of housed in the site itself.
1: That's really, really wonderful. And we advocate for the same thing at the PASS Foundation. And so um, I'm thrilled to hear you say that. And we will definitely make sure that as we share out, that we remind teachers that, you know, there are so many opportunities. There's great content from lots of different places. Places that allow you to replace the thing that you have to do anything, anyway anyway mm-hmm. uh, with a, a different sort of voice a different lens a different context to still gain the same skills so that you're, you''re you're not you're you're not having to do you know another thing but you're replacing it with something that is really relevant um, very rigorous and developed for today's uh, today's outcomes uh, so that's really wonderful mm-hmm. so thank you for that so let's revisit a little bit about um, the the native knowledge 360 because that is where you you are plugging in a variety of the different efforts that you're making, so help us understand a little bit more
0: about what that is in totality. Yeah, no, that's a thank you. It's a good, um, important question. Um, so I think a lot of folks could relate to the fact that museums are spaces for informal learning, right? So teachers might bring students there, and maybe currently not happening, but in, in typically, um, for an enrichment. Maybe it could connect with the classroom. And the museum is really engaged in that work. We've had lots of opportunities for students to come in, do tours, on-site programming, do workshops for teachers. But one thing we were finding is that teachers needed more support in terms of Having the confidence, having um, the knowledge, having some of the ability, just to have a space to have conversations and think through how am I bringing native voices, native perspectives into the classroom in a way that is, you know, both accurate and also respectful of all the different diversity of, of nations that were that are here in, in this um, in what is today the United States, and this comes from a long history of not doing good by teaching native american content in schools and our team actually did some studies and looking at how textbooks cover the content we've also looked at uh, studies on standards and what's there and what's not and a lot of it is either erasure (laughs) it's not present or it's very isolated to the past right and so um, several years ago, um, our department alongside, of course, the leadership in the museum launched um, an education initiative where we want to really work within formal education spaces to better represent and hopefully transform teaching and learning about Native Americans. And so that what does that look like? It's building out more and more resources that are classroom ready, that have the content and kind of confidence from the museum and working with Native Native communities so that teachers know what they're using um, is accurate and um, is fair and represents the diversity of Native perspectives. Um, We've developed a set of essential understandings, which is like a framework for thinking about how you could start to build out more inclusivity with Native voices in in a classroom context. So that's a tool that we like to work with educators on through workshops, through training. Um, And it's about building out more partnerships and in particular, working alongside with teachers so that we learn from them about how what we're developing is meeting their needs, but then they also can come and do trainings. We have a summer um, institute series. This year, we did it online, but where we really work to immerse teachers with our collections, curators, with Native scholars. So, I mean, it's it's about trying to turn a table on how students um, are taught about Native Americans and how, how do we all learn about it because it's, it's a societal thing. And that's something that we're, we're hoping to address.
1: Yeah, and it's really critically important because people, to your point earlier, people do struggle with how to do this and how to do this well. And, um, you know, I've worked in, in many, many places around the world, certainly uh, lots of places in the U.S. And one of the things that, that I have seen, and, and it's very striking, and I've seen it over and over again. And so as part of why I was really excited about the work that that you're involved in is, you know, states that have a, a, a predominant Native presence, you know there's a different level of comfort in places so i'm thinking about for example most recently a few projects that i've worked on in the dakotas or in alaska where where you the the teachers have a different level of of understanding and comfort Talking about um, Native history, you know, current issues for Native Americans, being more inclusive, although not always, out of out of, out of out of absolute fairness. But but there are lots of teachers in places where they don't even realize that they have an active Native presence within their state or their community because it's not visible in the same way as it is in other places. And I do think that, and I've I've heard seen seen, seen and heard this over and over again that there are teachers who have have no idea what to do with this content, right? And so I think that it's really, really critically important. The work that that you're doing and your team um, is doing to help teachers very broadly, no matter where you are, where you're teaching, what community that you're in, know that there's an amazing opportunity and quite frankly, a necessity to bring native voices into your active teaching and learning every day. Mm -hmm. Um, And so where and how that's possible um, is really, quite frankly, a wonderful thing. It's an asset.
0: Yeah. And it's been, it's I'm glad you brought up the kind of also the diversity within the United States of, mm-hmm. of teachers, no matter from those who are very much part of or maybe native themselves, you yeah. know, within those communities mm-hmm. where they might even have relationships with tribes or tribes have been so active and proactive with having a voice in the education landscape in states like we've really learned from um, some of our partners in Washington State and Montana who um, are also doing some incredible work um, to make sure that those players are always kind of operating alongside. with kind of came to mind was in our, one of our previous summer institutes, it was really neat to see some teachers from the Dakotas, from Montana, and even other, other states as well, kind of almost partnering was probably too formal of a word, but getting together with teachers who were like, I just want to try to start, but I don't really know where to go. And like having this kind of place where you can have some brave conversations and kind of acknowledge where your lack of information is. So that that kind of partnership, we also want to help to bring together where teachers are working with each other to kind of help, hey, I I tried this out um, and I had some success you know, in in reaching out to the tribe or um, I'm learning a lot just from kind of stepping back and listening or reading these posts. So it's building, I think, that kind of community, which I think educators already naturally do, but around a topic that hasn't always gotten as much attention. I also
1: think the other thing that's really wonderful about the approach that the museum is taking is the fact that not only are you giving these educators the content, which is fabulous, and the professional learning community, which you've established through these workshops and these cohorts of teachers coming together to talk about these things together, but you're also giving the, the participants a, a, a place, if you will, a place... and a a group of people um, to have conversations that can be fairly uncomfortable, especially for privileged folks who don't even understand what they're missing, uh, what, whether I, you're missing the understanding, um, you're missing, you know, the background of the details, the accuracy of the stories, or you're not even um, sure about how best to approach those potential partnership opportunities that you could bring into your active teaching and learning every single day. Because I mm-hmm. think that oftentimes one of the things that we see, especially when you're talking about teaching cultures that different than whoever is the instructor, Instructor in that space, that sometimes folks get hung up on being uncomfortable about not sure how to have the conversation. Um, so that's a really important piece because, quite frankly, as 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 we know, there's a lot of learning that can happen in that uncomfortable space. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I've I've also had that for myself. Uh-huh. You know, in terms of how I've grown professionally, I. Started out in the classroom. Um, I taught uh, middle and high school social studies in um, Kentucky and Virginia and parts of DC before shifting into this work. And I kind of thought that I always did a good job by seeking to bring more, more and more voices into the um, narratives that you know we kind of build for students. I did a lot of work with civics, but one, you know, it was kind of a few weeks in, or I don't know, it was probably later into my um, time at the museum, it dawned on me that I'd never in my study of civics really had students focus on tribes as nations and their Mm -hmm. role uh, alongside States. um, And then, but also with the federal government and the role of treaties within that. I mean, that's a huge part of this country's Mm -hmm. history and it's an incredible amount of opportunity for reflecting on contemporary issues today and where we are with it. So things like that, that, you know, and I do share that with folks. Like I've, I've, feel enormously grateful that I've had the opportunity to learn from and and work with my colleagues. And it's just, you know, (laughs) having spaces to kind of step back and allow yourself to realize where those are and then seek out the information in a way that you feel like it's trustworthy and knowing where to go. So seeing that kind of work happen with educators has been really inspiring for our team. And we want to continue to kind of make sure that uh, folks out there can feel like they can reach out to us and let us know, you know, what big topics are they really want to dig into, but they don't necessarily have the support to do. Or if we know they're teaching, for example, about um, the gold rush, right? If that's, Mm -hmm. while there isn't a national curriculum there are you know spots along different states that really rise up what could we do to kind of broaden that conversation Mm -hmm. out because we don't want to necessarily it's it's not about making you know our history only reflect native perspectives it's about bringing those in and making sure that they're just as much as part of that because it's a much more richer and interesting history that way
1: oh absolutely and and it and it helps the students in that space be better global citizens, right? And as mm-hmm. teachers get more comfortable um, in that space and really having a better sense and understanding of the diversity of our own history, it makes it a lot easier for then you to reach out into the sort of global perspective and grab some of those same ideologies or experiences, history, and opportunities, and to bring those back into your classroom as well. And that's one of the things that I have seen over many years of doing this work is that as we can get teachers comfortable locally, right, and then start expanding their circle of knowledge um, and resources, what we find Mm -hmm. is more and more that those those pieces are drawn into their everyday teaching and learning. Mm -hmm. And that's a powerful transformative experience, right? Yeah. Um, So there's so, so much value in that. So um, what what do you think as, as you sort of, um, are getting ready to to launch several of these these new pieces. Um, you know the um, the the 360 piece already in place, but you know adding the new programming around code talking and some of the other things that you sort of have in the pipeline what what do you what do you see as sort of the next big aha moment in terms of the work that you're doing in that intersection in the transformative? events that are happening right now with so much work that had suddenly happen in a virtual space and and teachers around the globe uh, pivoting and pivoting really fast, some with great success, some really struggling, and a lot of them sort of in the space in between. The same thing happened in the museum world. Almost every museum Mm -hmm. in the world had to either shut down or pivot quickly and really sort of amp up a lot of the virtual offerings that they have. And what, you know, we're, we're hearing sort of globally is that there will be elements of that, that as everything sort of shifts, that we will keep because there was value in that. And I assume mm-hmm. that the museum also experienced some of that as it relates to some of the, the virtual or digital resources that you've been able to sort of launch in this pivot moment. So what does that look like for the institution moving forward?
0: Yeah, that's um we're kind of in the thick of that <laughs> right now. <laughs> we figure, are. Trying to figure that out. Um, so I mean, I can speak to where, you know, I what I see and where I'm positioned within that. And I mean, there's a lot of thoughtful attention going to the value and the purpose, right, of what we do. And how how can you still maintain maintain that while having to shift to how, how that's delivered? And you know, one thing that we really saw this um, summer when we had to very quickly, which isn't always easy at the Smithsonian, um, shift <laughs> gears to do a virtual um, teacher institute, was the sheer number of people interested and in wanting help in this area. Like we were blown away. We had over thousand people um, on a over a course of a three day or on each day of the session, and. And I don't say that necessarily as like a bragging point, but it was like it floored us. We had no idea that that was going to be something that was in demand, especially sensitive to where teachers are and having to come up with their own working plan. And it helped us understand like, okay, so if we know that demand is out there, we have a real opportunity to think about ways we can put content out in our, you know, if we have our like home of NK360 maybe we can help to build that out a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So like, for example, right now, we're actually redoing, we're having kind of a a re, I don't know, I'm not great with tech language sometimes, but like a redo of our website. Basically. Right. right. Um, and so we're thinking about how can we make that even more accessible for our audience out there. And a lot of the audience weren't even teachers. Some of them were just folks who were interested. So that's one thing we're doing is kind of taking stock of how can we put what we have out there in a way that more and more people can access it. Mm -hmm. But we're also hearing folks need context around it. So it's one thing you can't just, you know, put content on a site about a topic that has so many different entry points. As an example lots of questions around tribal sovereignty and what right. that means and how do I teach that to my right. students so you know it's it's kind of stepping back a little bit for us and thinking about what are some of these core elements that we're hearing people have a hunger for and want to know more about and does that mean maybe we deliver some real short segments on that or we partner so it's it's also i mean i guess it could sound obvious but it's a call to us to be innovative in what we're thinking through alongside there is a push, of course, to try to get the museums open if it's right. safe, and that's—I mean—and that's something the Smithsonian is doing currently in a in a really thoughtful way, following science with that. But what I imagine seeing as we go through kind of these next—I don't know how long to chart ahead—but is a real is a real push to take what we have, put it out there because we know people want it, and not be as I think to have to have some urgency with that in a way that we can also be, um, it's informed by the feedback we got from teachers. So one thing that was a huge success was just the amount of, um, you know, survey response, evaluation we received back from that. And we're really using that to inform kind of what our next plans are for years ahead. And I don't know if teachers always know that, but taking that content in and then Figuring out, okay, how can we make that into part of our work plan? How can we make sure we're meeting that need? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know if that answers the question directly, other than it's very much on our minds, and and we're wanting to really use this time as a way to still reach folks. It may not be in the same method, it may not be as as made deep of a reach, but I think we can at least help people know that we're here, and that's kind of exciting. Is that maybe more folks will come and and figure out there is a space in which they can at least get started on some of this work.
1: Yeah, no, and I think that that's that's absolutely correct. And we saw the same thing, right? So, you know, um, that past and past innovation lab, the physical space, very much like, like the museum. You know, the, the the previous way of operating was that people came here to engage in experiences. And when we suddenly opened that up and made a lot of that same sort of content available virtually and workshops, and we had to do the same thing, right? And so I, I think that you were right on because we saw the same thing. We, we saw demand in ways we'd never seen before that we didn't even know, right? And we saw people coming and to participate from all over the world because they didn't have to physically come here anymore. And I assume mm-hmm. that it's very similar. You know, if a teacher does not have to come to Washington, D.C. to attend a workshop, that suddenly it was a game changer for them in terms of that access point. So, uh, you know, I think, you know, it's really important to acknowledge the fact that the museum made that pivot um, and that you're you're, you're gathering mm-hmm. data and making decisions moving forward. So that's pretty awesome. So uh, thank you for that.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um,
1: you know, one last question is sort of as we wrap up. And I always, sort of end with with this on all of the programs is you know imagining myself being a teacher somewhere out there in somewhat of isolation wherever that happens to be in the world and i'm listening to this program and i want i want to be part of what colleen is doing at the american you know museum uh And how do I do that? What what is the easiest way for me to get access to the amazing work that you're doing and quickly incorporate it into the teaching and learning environment that I happen to be in, whether that's formal or informal?
0: Yeah. Um, So the first thing you can do is go to the National Museum of the American Indians website, which is www.americanindian.si.edu. And then from there, um, if you go to our education page, you can also honestly Google NK360. That'll work too. That'll um, work too. <laughs> um, it's, um, but sometimes it's funny. We're not the first thing that comes up. We're some, There's some spirit of NK360 uh, air, airline. So I don't know if that was still number one. So if you can go <laughs> there and make us number one, that'd be awesome. Um, but yeah, if you go on, on um, Native Knowledge 360 on our website... Um, If you're in the classroom, um, I would really encourage you to go into our lessons and resources section. We have instructional resources for the classroom. We have informational ones more for like Um, If you want some, when we're building that section up, but kind of equipping yourself with some knowledge there right at hand. And also look at our educators, excuse me, our professional development page, because we are going to have some upcoming webinars. Um, One is on one of our newest um, digital resources that's inquiry-based, and it's about early encounters in um, Manhattan. Also, another way you might think of it, if you're especially a teacher of younger grades, it's kind of around the time of the fur trade. And we do it more from native perspectives, looking at this question of did Native people really sell Manhattan, kind of getting Mm -hmm. students to Mm -hmm. unpack that and understand um, some pretty important stuff, the idea of values and worldviews and bringing two different cultures together and and what's often missed in this kind of myth around the sale of Manhattan. And then on a practical level, I would really encourage you to just try to do one thing this this year, the school year, this this time period in which you maybe make a shift in in how you're bringing a native voice, you know, and it doesn't have to be limited to social studies educators. We've had a lot of teachers from English language arts, from the arts, humanities, even science teachers. You know, we do have some great resources about contemporary issues and what native peoples are doing around environmental challenges. If you can kind of say, like, I'll go back probably to my orientation, but you know, I think a lot about Oftentimes in a social studies classroom, right? Westward expansion comes up. And usually, typically, not always, but it's often done with the idea of looking west. I guess it depends obviously, of course, on perspective. But if you shift that a little bit, Right, And maybe start it more from some Native perspectives of kind of thinking about, and I'm borrowing a line, I believe, from um, Debbie Reese, who does a, a lot of great work with um, Native literature and, and texts out there, but um, is to look East and, and think about it from that different vantage point. And we have some great resources on there, one in particular about the idea of belonging and what does that mean to belong um, as a Native person, as part of a Native nation. Um, And just, yeah, don't feel like you have to do it all at once, um, but maybe find one thing that you could do to shift, to change, or if you're already doing those things, share that out so that other teachers around you kind of could see you as a, a person of support they could come to.
1: That is absolutely great advice. And uh, hopefully uh, we will have many, many teachers go to the website and and in fact, maybe even some reach out specifically um, to you as a result of, you know, sort of hearing the opportunity that's available. So thank you so much, Colleen, for joining us today. We will post when we um, let this episode go um, all the links and the resources and we will make sure that we can easily, teachers can just click on the links and and get there. They won't even have to hopefully Google it. But thank you so much uh, for joining us today yeah thank
0: you and take care yeah absolutely thanks
1: thank you for joining us for learning unboxed conversation about teaching learning and the future of work i want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation meet me on social media at annalise corbin and join me next time as we stand up step back and lean in to reimagine education